0: And it came to pass in the days of Amphrael, the king of Shinar, Genesis 14, 1. Now Shinar is Babylon. And Arioch the king of Alishar, which is Babylonia. And Chedolamor, the king of Elam, which is Persia. And Tidal, the king of Goyim, or nations, Genesis 14, 1. So we don't know exactly what nations that compromised, but four kings. They made war with Bera, the king of Sodom, and with Bersha, the king of Gomorrah, and Shinab, the king of Adma, Genesis 14, 2. And these kings really, no sense of reading their names off because we're not going to remember them anyhow, but they are the kings of the plain, the area where there were five cities in this lush area of the Jordan Valley there that compromised the cities around Sidon. Now these were joined together in a confederacy in the vale of Sidom, which is the Salt Sea. And twelve years they serve Chedorlaomer, Genesis fourteen three through four. So Chedorlaomer, the king of Persia, had conquered the area and have put them under tribute, and they've been under tribute for twelve years. In the thirteenth year they rebelled against the tribute, Genesis 14, 4. Now, 13 is a very interesting number. 13 is the number of rebellion. And so it is significant that it was in the 13th year that they rebelled. The number 13 is a number that does appear in other places. It's always a number of rebellion. It happens to be the number of Satan. Every name for Satan in the Greek, when you take the Gamma the number value of those names and totaled up, it's always divisible by 13. Very interesting. I don't know what it means, but it is just the number of rebellion and has been scripturally the number of Satan, the number 13. And this is why 13 has become a er- become considered as an unlucky number, as that is why whenever you get into spiritism, spiritual seances, and so forth, and you begin to dabble in those realms of spiritism, the number 13 becomes a very significant number. I don't know if you've ever been through the Winchester Riffle House. The woman supposedly was being directed by the spirits. And in the building of that house, and she had men working there continually, but as you go through the house, you'll find 13 windows in a room or you'll find six steps down seven steps up and the number 13 is woven in throughout the entire house all the way into the dimensions of the rooms in the number of windows in the steps and so forth and she used that number through the whole house it is a number that anyone who dabbles in spiritism is familiar with because so many of the seances and so forth are the number 13 And it's a very important number to them. And interestingly enough, it is a number of scripturally, a number of Satan, the number of rebellion. So 12 years, they served the king. In the 13th year, they rebelled. Now, in the 14th year, Genesis 14, 5... He got together with these kings of Babylon, Babylonia, and they made an invasion in the area that is today Jordan, but in history was Moab, and they invaded across the high country, clear on down to the area of Edom. The coming down to the, well, it gives you the city, all the cities there that they conquered, and they came on finally across to Kadesh. They came south and then began to move west as they came to the area of Edom and Mount Seir, which is where it was, which is where it was, and then across to Kadesh. Having conquered all of these cities and archaeology has certainly confirmed this particular part of history here in the Bible, as they have uncovered vast cities that were never rebuilt. They just totally wiped out the cities and all, took the spoil, and the cities were never rebuilt. They have dated the ruins and so forth to about the 17th century BC to the 19th century BC so that it puts it about the time of this invasion and they've actually discovered many of these cities that are named here and the ruins of these cities as they have put their spade to the tells and have uncovered really a vast civilization that once existed there but they were wiped out by this invasion of the Babylonian Confederacy with the Persian Confederacy of Kings now the whole purpose of the invasion was ultimately to get at Sodom these five cities of the plain that had rebelled against the tribute that they were paying to Chedorlaomer the king of Elam and so they came in verse 10 to the valley of Shid- of Siddim which was full of slime pits Genesis 14:10 Now the word slime pits is actually the asphalt pit This was an area of lots of tar asphalt pits down there in the Valley, which when God sent fire from heaven to consume Sodom, probably set these things on fire and they probably burned for months. Once you get that hot enough to where it's ignited and burning, burning, it's, it probably went on and on and on. So it was an area that was full of slime. It's interesting that in the tower of Babel, they used pitch for mortar. The word pitch here again is a word that signifies tar. Now, Rockefeller, when he read the Bible, saw and he figured out, hey, if it's tar, there must be oil. And that's why he began to explore for oil over in the area of Saudi Arabia and Iran and so forth. And that's why he became such an extremely wealthy man. He read his Bible and he used his head. And so the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled and fell there. And they that remained fled into the mountain, Genesis fourteen ten. Now, of course, if you're down there, you know that there's all kinds of steep cliffs and caves and hiding places and Masada, one of the mountains down there that would overlook the area that was once Tyre and Sidon. And so these kings took all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their victuals, supplies, and they went their way. And they took Lot, Abram's brother's son, who dwelt in Sodom and his goods and departed. And there came one that had escaped, Genesis 14, 11 through 13, probably one of Lot's servants. And he told Abraham, the Hebrew, Genesis 14, 13. And of course, this is the first time the word Hebrew is used. It probably comes from the name of his great, great, great grandfather, Eber. And so he was called the Hebrew here. It's a name that was adopted later, but Israel was the name that really is adopted for the people because of Jacob and Israel defines more the nation that God had blessed. The Hebrews would include actually the Arabs in a technical sense because they are the descendants of Ishmael. For he dwelt in the plain of Mamre, the Amorite, brother of Eshcol and brother of Aner, and they were confederate with Abram, Genesis 14, 13. So Abraham had these others that he was dwelling with in this area of Mamre with Eshcol, from whom the Valley of Eshcol became named later on, and his two brothers, Mamre and Aner. And when Abram heard that this brother, that his brother, that is Lot, was taken captive, he armed his trained servants that were born in his own house, 318 of them, and he pursued them to Dan, Genesis fourteen fourteen. So This gives you the size of Abram's wealth and all. He had 318 men who were his own servants that he could arm for battle. And you can imagine, you know, if you've had that many servants, you'd have a real food supply problem. You know, feeding everybody because you're responsible to take care of them all. So Abram was a man of very vast means, very vast wealth that he could support and keep that many servants. Now they pursued them as far as Dan, now, Dan is in the uppermost part of the Galilee. It's just before you get to the base of Mount Hermon. It's probably five miles from Banos, where the Jordan River comes, right of the base of Mount Hermon. And so you're clear up at the northern end of the upper Galilee, which means from the area of Hebron, he pursued them about 125 miles, which Without armored weapons, carriers, and so forth, that was a pretty long jaunt for these guys. To go figuring that on some, to go on a sortie of a forced march, you can get 25 miles a day or so. You get an idea of how far they pursued these armies on up to the area of Dan, where they caught up with them in the area of Dan. And he divided himself against them. And he and his servants by night, he smote them and pursued them to Hobah, which is on the left hand. Of Damascus now Damascus is some 45 miles beyond so he came upon them at night took them by surprise which was probably the wisest thing he could do because the armies that he was facing were numbering anywhere from 50 to 100,000 men. And here he comes up with his 318 servants, plus those of the three brothers that went with him. And so he probably had at most an army of 500 or so coming against several thousand who had just wiped out a whole civilization, wiped out five kings of the plain. It's a pretty tough guy. And Abram came on them at night. Now, they probably, number one, figured no one would dare attack us unless they had a huge force. At night, they couldn't see how many Abraham had, and they were taken by surprise. They were confused, and they began to flee. But from that point, it was hard to flee because you've got to go right up on the Golan Heights. You're in a box canyon, and so whenever you flee, you usually flee in the direction of home. And so they started heading home up Mount Hermon, really because they came to the left side of Damascus, which meant they had to go up Mount Hermon. And as they were fleeing, that gave Abraham and his men a chance to really wipe at their flanks and to come up and to destroy them. As they were coming up on them, they pursued them all the way to Hoba, which is to the left of Damascus, That would be going north and so Abram destroyed actually all these armies that had come and he brought back all of the goods and he also brought brought back again his brother or literally his nephew Lot and his goods and the women also and the people Genesis 14 16 so these kings have taken a lot of captives that they would have made slaves Abraham rescued them all and was bringing them back and as he was returning the king of sodom went out to meet him after his return from the slaughter of Chedorlaomer and the kings that were with him at the valley of Sheba which is the king's dale and Melchizedek the king of Salem brought forth bread and wine and he was the priest of El Elyon or the God the most high Genesis 14:17 and 18 really the God the God most high God and he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of the Most High God, possessor of the heaven and earth, and blessed be the Most High God, which has delivered you, your enemies, into your hand. And Abraham gave him tithes or a tenth of all. Genesis 14 19 through 20. So, briefly, we are introduced to this interesting mystical person. Melchizedek, of whom the Scriptures speak very, very little. It tells us nothing of Melchizedek's parentage, nothing of his mother and father, tells us nothing of his genealogy. All that it tells us is that he was a servant, or actually a priest, of the great and the most high God. He came up to Abraham with what? Bread and wine, which are the symbols of communion. And he gave these to Abraham And then he blessed Abraham. Now, the lesser is always blessed by the greater. Therefore, in blessing Abram, it puts him a level above Abram, and Abram gave him tithes of everything that he had. Again, it was signifying the lesser paying the tithes to the greater, to the servant or the priest of the most high God. So Abram received the blessing recognized the man as the priest of the Most High God. He gave tithes of all of the spoils that he had taken to him. Nothing more is said of Melchizedek until we get to the 110th Psalm. And suddenly, out of nothing that seems to relate to the rest of the 110th Psalm, we read these words. I have sworn and will not repent. I have made thee a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, Psalm 110.4. Now, Abraham's son, Isaac, had a son, Jacob, who had 12 sons. One of Jacob's sons was Levi. And when the law was established, Levi was the tribe that was to become the priestly tribe. And so they were called the order of Levi or the Levitical order of priesthood, order referring to the family. Now, here is an order of priesthood that precedes the Levitical order and is superior to the Levitical order in that Levi, in essence, When Abram paid tithes, great-great-grandfather of Levi, Levi, in essence, was paying tithes to Melchizedek. So it puts the order of priesthood of Melchizedek in a superior order to the Levitical one. And God has sworn and will not repent, I have made you a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The psalm had to remain a mystery, as did Melchizedek himself, until we come to the book of Hebrews, when the mystery begins to unravel. From the author of the book, I believe it was Paul, of Hebrews, when he he begins to point out the fact that Jesus, though he is from the tribe of Judah, of which the scriptures have nothing to say concerning the priesthood, but even though he is of the tribe of Judah, He is of the order of the priesthood of Melchizedek, the superior order of priesthood. Thus, he can be the great high priest of those who will come to him, to God through him. Now, Melchizedek was called the king of righteousness, as well as the king of peace. King of peace is Salem, which is the early name for Jerusalem. So he was one of the first kings of Jerusalem but he was also called the king of righteousness. Now it is interesting when he refers to Christ who is of the order of Melchizedek and he talks about Christ making intercession for us as our great high priest. Wherefore we have a great high priest, even Jesus Christ, the righteous, 1 John 2.1. Again, the repetition of that word, the righteous, king of righteousness. We have a great high priest, Jesus Christ, the righteous one, literally, who has entered into heaven for us. Now you see how the word of God is so beautifully tied together. Here is just a little snippet in Genesis. By itself, we don't understand it very much. If that was all that was said, Melchizedek would just be lost somewhere in history as a mystical character. We know very little about him. And then when David comes along in Psalm 110 and says, I have sworn and will not repent. I made you a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. We think, what in the world is David talking about? This Psalm makes no sense. It doesn't make sense until we put it all together in Hebrews and we realize that Jesus is our great high priest. He's not of the tribe of Levi, true, for he had to be in the line of the tribe of Judah to fulfill the prophecy of the Messiah. But he is also the priest, but not after the Levitical order, after the order of Melchizedek, who has neither mother nor father or genealogy. Now, there are many Bible scholars who believe that Melchizedek was none other than Jesus Christ himself. That is very possible. Jesus said to the Pharisees, Abraham rejoiced to see my day and saw it. They said, what do you mean Abraham saw you? You're not 50 years old. John 8:56 and 57. So Jesus could have been referring to this particular incident. Now, after Abraham received the elements of communion, the bread and the wine, and received the blessing, then the king of Sodom said unto Abram, give me the persons and take the goods to yourself. Genesis 14:21. You know, just give me the hostages that you've captured and you keep all the loot. And Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted up my hand unto the Lord, the Most High God, El Elyon. Genesis 14, 22. He uses the same term now that Melchizedek had used concerning God, El Elyon, the Most High God. I've lifted up my hand to Jehovah the most high God, the possessor of heaven and earth that I will not take from a, a thread to a shoelace. I'll not take anything that is yours. Lest you would say, I made Abram rich Genesis fourteen twenty-two and 23. So Abraham, Abraham had acknowledged that the blessings and the riches that he had had come to him from God. He was not about ready to take and let any man take credit for making him wealthy. He didn't want anyone boasting and saying, well, I made Abram rich. God has blessed Abraham and prospered him. And Abraham wanted only God to get the glory. So he refused to take any, not even a thread or a shoelace, he said, except just the food that these young men who went to battle with me have eaten and so forth and these others let them have their share Genesis 14 24 but I'm not going to take anything because I don't want you saying I made Abram rich it's an important lesson for us to learn that is to never take the bows for the work of God or never let man take credit for the work of God man seems to always like to take credit for what God has done well I fasted for many weeks and I did this and I did that and I made this commitment and I made this sacrifice and I well you know and I became so wonderful God has done all of this oh how horrible when man seeks to take credit for what God has done the Bible says that no flesh should glory in his sight first Corinthians 1 29. so Abram was very wise in this recognizing that the hand of God's blessing had been upon his life and will continue upon his life because God had promised it. He said, Hey, and I won't even take a shoelace from you as in the time to come. I don't want you to say I made Abram rich, recognizing that God was the one who had blessed him with these riches. So we'll continue on next time. Let us pray. Father, let our hearts be soft and supple to your word. Let us be doers of your word and not just readers and listeners, but let us fulfill your will in our lives and love our neighbors, care for this world and love those that hurt us. For only through love can this world be healed and only through your return can love be fulfilled. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. It is in your beautiful name that we pray. Amen.